Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I think before I say anything, I just want you all to take a good look around you and look who you see in this room. Look who's here. And I, want, I want you to have a think about what you, for those of you in cycling clubs, who you see when you're out on your club run. And for those of you who race, when you rock up at that little church hall in the middle of Sussex somewhere for that road race at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning, when you look around that room, who you see. Okay. And, and think about who you see when you look through the pages of a cycling magazine, right? And not the articles on diversity and not the articles on Africa, but your average cycling magazine about fitness, nutrition, racing, whatever it is. Think about the faces that you see in those spaces. And then look again around this room and who you see. You know, thank you, everybody, for turning up. Thank you for coming out in force and representing this is what cycling looks like. This is what cycling should look like overall, you know? And, and, and that's really something I really wanted to get across. And I wasn't quite sure who would turn up today or what this would look like. And I was hoping in my heart that it would look as it does. And, and you've kind of proved that point to me. So thank you. Just give yourselves a round of applause for being here. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I want to tell you a little bit about how this came about and who I am and why I'm here. My name is Andy Edwards. Uh, I'm a cyclist. I started cycling in 1982. I joined my first club in 1983. And I started racing in 1984. And if no one believes me, Coach Watto, a.k.a. Ian Watson, is here. And I did my very first schoolboy crit with Ian Watson many years ago. We're not that old, really. <laughs> So I've seen the sport and grow and develop over 35 years. It's been a part of my life for 35 years, and it's really given me so much joy and pleasure and a real sense of identity and belonging. Cycling means so much to me on so many different levels. This wasn't really the plan. The plan was I was just going to write a little report for my cycling club, Kingston Wheelers, to inform a conversation that we were having with Derek and Tim and Caroline and, and a number of the other Kingston Wheelers Club committee that was here about how we could be more diverse as a club. And that was it. Uh, and it started because Manny Arthur and I got to know each other and we became friends and we had a conversation. 
And um, I think you slid into my DM on Instagram. <laughs> you slid into mine. Okay. Uh, but what you, what you saw in the introduction to the report, if you read the report, that is 100% true. This is how it happened. It was very much a grassroots thing. So it was a conversation between us of, you know what, I'm seeing more people from black and minority backgrounds on bikes in Lycra. This is cool. This is good. But you know what, I'm, I'm not seeing them in cycling clubs. I'm not seeing them in club kit. I'm not seeing this represented anywhere. What does that mean? It was a conversation between a black man and a white man about diversity. That is how this whole thing started. Um, I met Biola at the traffic lights. Uh, literally, as it was in the report. <laughs> Hi! I'm this white guy. You're on a bike. Can I talk to you about diversity and cycling, please? It was so weird. <laughs> it was so odd. It was so odd. <laughs> Who's this, 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 this weirdo on his Boris bike panting? Like, he's like, trying to catch up with her. Uh, it was true. Um, Janaid. She dropped you. <laughs> Janaid, um, I'd already seen the article in Cycling Weekly. They were ahead of me on that one. Uh, Cycling Weekly had run a, uh, an article on Brothers on Bikes last year. And I was going the other way on my way home after a ride from Richmond Park. And the Brothers on Bike guys, the Bob guys, it's a very distinctive logo on their jersey, were riding the other way. I turned around, I thought, oh my God, I've got to talk to these guys. You know, and, look around. and we were introduced, and then Janae is here. So that's how this project started. It was 100% grassroots. None of this was the intention. A lady at British Cycling called Chidi Onoa is, is really how this all came about. And I'm sure there's going to be some questions about British Cycling and where they fit in all of this as well, and that's fine, and we'll take those questions on. But if there's one person in British Cycling that I absolutely want to credit with all of you being here today, it's Chidi. She really made that happen. And I just want to say a big round of applause to Chidi, please. Um, so I'm kind of conscious that I'm a, a white guy with a microphone at a diversity event, so I don't want to talk too long. But I did just want to lay it all out for you as to how this all happened, because this really is how it happened, okay? And I just want to sort of uh, just, just say a couple of thank yous. There's a, uh, well, one person in particular, there's a lot of people I've acknowledged, uh, basically everybody here, thank you. Uh, all the acknowledgements in the report, thank you to all those people. I'm not going to go into a big long list of names because I'll forget somebody. There was one person I do want to say a special thanks to, and that's my friend Dave Ladkin, because he designed it. And he's actually a professional designer, and he did it for free. And it's not an easy thing to get right. You know, get the right picture in the right context on the right thing. You know, designing a, a diversity document is not easy. And Dave was just doing this for me as a favor, right? And he's not even here. He's on holiday. So anybody who knows Dave Ladkin, just message him and just say to him that Andy Edwards has said out loud that he's buying him coffee and cake for the rest of the year and probably even longer than that. So I just want to get that on record. Um, I also just want to kind of lay a few things out for this evening as well, just so that you're all aware as to sort of how this is going to um, play out. So, um, first off, this is recorded. So, the lovely people that look mum in our hands, we've got microphones, they're going to be recording the audio, and we're going to do something with this online, whether it's a podcast or whatever, but it's going to be kind of broadcast somewhere in some form. Not live, but it will be up there. So, please bear that in mind if you want to ask a question. Um, the other thing I would just say as well is, just a couple of guidelines. A lot of you have been to diversity events, so hopefully I don't need to say this, but um, please respect other people's experiences. If somebody has got the microphone and they're explaining something to you from their perspective, um, and their perspective differs from, differs from yours, it, it's not your position to turn around and say, oh, I don't believe you, oh, what do you mean, da 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 Just please listen and learn. That's the first thing. Second thing is... Um, 
you know, this is not kind of some advanced symposium on critical race theory or anything like that either. And I appreciate there's a lot of terminology around diversity and so forth, which hopefully I've, I've understood a bit. I'm not an expert. I'm not expecting anybody to be an expert. If you want to ask a question and you're not quite sure how to phrase it, don't stress. This is a safe space for everybody. Wherever it is you're coming from, I think everybody here has come with a good heart. So I think we're going to proceed on that basis. But I just want to say that out loud. Um, so we're going to get into a bit of a Q&A, and hopefully these guys are going to do most of the talking from here on in. Um, we're hoping to be joined by Morris Burton a little bit later as well, and I'd really love to hear from Morris because he's been doing this for an awfully long time. Um, so really looking forward to that as well. Um, the last thing I was going to say, and it's only just really occurred to me within the last 10 or 15 minutes or so, is that it's very warm in here. So <laughs> if people are starting to faint and we need waters or we need to sort of go outside or whatever, or even if we just need to wrap it up five, ten minutes early, then we will do that. But um, I'm just kind of conscious that, you know, this needs to be a comfortable experience for everybody. But um, in, in part, we're a victim of our own success in that so many people have turned up. So thank you. So Big what up. I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of start the, um, the conversation. And rather than me introduce anybody else. I'm going to have people introduce themselves as we, as we come to them in turn. And um, we're going to sort of kick it off because everybody's kind of brought a very different perspective to this report. And we're just going to kind of dig into that and explore that a little bit and then sort of get into a little bit of a conversation, take some questions as well, if there are any, and just kind of see where we go to with this. But I think really it's, it's this, the whole thing about this evening is to bring people together. The last thing I'm going to say as well is once we're done with the Q&A, this place stays open till around 10 o'clock. You're welcome to stay for as long as you wish. Connect with people. Get to know with people. If you don't know someone, just walk up to them, introduce yourself, say hi. I'll, I'd like it to be that kind of evening. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll make new friends, new contacts, and, you know, we can all ride our bikes together in a, maybe a different way than perhaps what we've done previously. So hopefully if we can do that too, that would be fantastic. Okay, right. That, that bit is over with. So... I'm going to start with Biola. So Yay. tell everybody, tell us who you are, what you do, um, and tell us about your kind of first experiences getting into cycling. What, what led you to cycling? Sure. So um, as Andy said, my name is Biola. Um, I ride for Velocity Posse, which is an all-women's uh, cycling club, which is just awesome. Um, I got into cycling probably about a year ago, so I'm quite new. Um, I decided to join an all-women's group because, for me, I felt they'd be quite encouraging. I, as I said, I'm new to cycling. Um, I had never heard about what cleats are or anything like that, so I thought that was an environment for me to learn, and they were just fantastic. And I, through them, I've gained so many skills. I've gained confidence. I've gained fitness. And from there, I've actually uh, started riding with mixed groups, and again, I've had fantastic experiences riding with mixed groups. There's so much knowledge, so much enthusiasm, which is highly infectious, um, which is the world of cycling for me. Now, I'm going to employ a bit of a management technique, which is called the sandwich. So you start with the really good stuff, then you go to the challenges, then you finish with the really good stuff. So bear with me with the challenges. So the first one, um, as I said, I, um, I didn't mention this. I work in finance, which is very white, male-dominated. Um, I'm definitely a minority on the trading floor. And whenever I go to conferences and things like that, I am the only black woman in the room. But that's fine, because whenever I go off talk and talk to anyone, 
they're always so welcoming to me. They will give me the time of day. We'll have conversations, etc. Now, as I said, I've been cycling for a year. I've definitely got a lot stronger. I've started doing races. I've, you know, I feel now I'm sort of a beginner stroke intermediate level. And this is not, this experience wasn't in the 90s or the 80s. This was three weeks ago. I turned up to a Saturday club run uh, with a major uh, cycling group. And I was like, in my lycra, I thought I was looking quite pro. And, <laughs> and I, you know, said to the groups, they were all kind of white guys. And I, you know, that doesn't bother me. And it shouldn't, shouldn't, doesn't make me feel uncomfortable at first until I started asking him, okay, so which group are you? Okay, you're the fast group. I'm going to pass by that. He was like, I do not ride at that speed. And the intermediate group, I was like, okay, this is time to push myself. This is, this is great. And the intermediate group kind of mumbled, yeah, we're the intermediate group, but oh, God, I don't really want to ride with you. And they made it very clear when they set off up, this is five minutes within the ride, they set off at about 30 to 35 kilometers an hour and up a really steep hill. And I, which, which hill was it? You, some of the people will know it. Um, I, didn't know any, I didn't know anyone in that group. I only knew one guy. Um, the hill was near College, Ro- College Road in South London, so you can all guess which club that so, was. So, so, I so, tried so, really hard not to say the club. No, 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 okay. <laughs> and, and we, Andy, you're naughty. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, no, but that wasn't the point I was trying to say. The point was, right, it was 35k an hour yeah. up a road that even, you know, if someone like me, I've ridden in that B, elite level races, I would find 35k an hour up that road a bit of a stretch. Yeah. That is not an intermediate ride. Sorry, go on. And then um, they got to the top of that road, looked back, saw that I was struggling, and this is within five five minutes, and rode on. And, you know, this is a year into cycling, so I feel like I've I've started to earn my stripes, and that was an extremely painful experience for me because part of the enjoyment of cycling is, you know, you turn up to Saturday club runs and they're supposed to be sociable and you're, you're getting it along to meet people, etc. So that was tough. So that was my first, um, first difference with finance, being a minority, but that experience made me feel uncomfortable and slightly unwelcome. And then my second experience, I had to say, and this is more on the corporate level, so I actually have been involved in quite a lot of diversity efforts across finance to try and make sure that finance starts to reflect the society that we live in. And, that's, and it's fine to have a different starting point, but one of the things that I found is that I found a little bit shocking was that, for example, there's, as Andy has highlighted, you have... Chide from uh, British Cycling, who's been an amazing champion of this report. But if I was to ask, are there anyone from the executive committee from British Cycling here today? I don't know if I'd get a positive response. And that, for me, is kind of speaks volumes. Because if I went to a diversity event like this in finance, you would see so many people from the C-suite here, because it means so much. And it's not just like an art... Oh, sorry. Not shouldn't swear. Uh, it's not just like um, uh, pandering to um, you know the sensitivities of the modern world. It's because it's really important. And so that's if you like that's the mummy. Now I'm going to finish with the positive stuff. Why do I care? 
I mean, I don't, I don't want to be a pro cyclist. I do this for fun. And that's the point. I do this for fun. And I really want other people to do this for fun. And it's not a case of div- like diversity with ethnicity or gender. It's just being welcoming. Being welcoming to our different abilities. Being Not assuming if you see someone who's slightly different from you, you make these assumptions. And I, will, I, really, I really want other people to see and get involved with these uh, cycling clubs and get involved in the ne- very, very niche conversations about gear ratios and about training plans <laughs> and about the next mountain you're about to climb. These are the stuff that, you know, is what makes cycling great. Not just to get on your bike and cycle by yourself, but to cycle with other people. And, and you ask really good questions. I'll say this. You know, you, you really want to know. You really want to better yourself. And you're not looking for any handouts here. There's a lot of talk, and we've seen this online with sort of various things that's been put on social media. And you have, and it's always old white guys. It's never women. It's always old white men who kind of come and say the most terrible things about, oh, yeah, they feel like it's like affirmative action or something like that. And really, it's not. You, you, you're perfectly capable. And a lot of this is just encouraging more people to do this, regardless of what they look like. And if they see someone like you as a role model, you know, they want to do it too. They want to feel inspired. I felt inspired too. Sorry, go on. I was just saying exactly. <laughs> but no, I just wanted to say that and sort of big that up. And, that, you know, you've come into this sport and I've seen you ride. I know how good you are. You know, I know what you've been doing over the, sort of the last few months or so. And, you know, that, the ride that dropped you, they, they didn't know what they were missing, truly. So I just want to say that. Um, I, I want to move on to Manny now and Manny so you've kind of <laughs> no 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 you have the microphone um, thank you Biola thank you and we're going to come back to you um, this is Biola is a great ambassador for our sport and she's only been doing it for a year anybody can be a fantastic ambassador for our sport that, I think that's kind of one of the other takeouts from this but Manny, you, you, it started with a conversation between you and I, and you were having this idea in your head. For, I'm not crazy. For, you were. No, no, no. But this idea, Black Cyclists Network. Um, so tell us about that, and particularly the emphasis on the network. But just tell us the thing and, and what, your, what your aim is with this thing. Okay. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you to everyone that's turned up today. Um, when I look across, I really see a sea change here of people that are just, you know, out here doing really positive stuff, not just for cycling, but for the environment as well. So, you know, big up to everyone here. Um, in terms of BCN, Black Cyclist Network, um, the emphasis for us is not really about being a club. It's more about sort of connecting people. So the initial idea is something I've, you know, been thinking about for many years, um, and then when I met um, Andy last year, um, around October last year, we had, a, we had a conversation about diversity in cycling. And um, so that led to the, to the report. And my takeaway was, okay, you know what? I've been thinking about doing this for a while. Let me just, let me just go ahead and do it. Um, and the main focus of the BCN is really to, to connect people of color. Um, I wanted to bring, you know, um, people of color together and to present a united front because I thought if I could bring, um, if I could bring everyone together then we can sort of you know, um, highlight 
that there are you know people of color who cycle. Unfortunately, you don't. Even though there, there are plenty of people of color who cycle, you don't really see that often. You see you see them in little um, small groups. So it's always a rarity when you see a person of color cycling. I tend to wave a lot when I see someone of color cycling. I just thought, you know what? Actually, we are there's a there's a big group out there, but because we're so so spread out, it doesn't quite give. The, the sort of image um, that there are a lot of you know um, black and minority um, ethnic cyclists out there, so decided to set up BCN as a result. And um, the, once I sort of set set the you know set everything in motion, then there became um, a second target, a second a second ob- objective almost, which was you know what now we're together, perhaps we can use our power to try and get more people of color into cycling. And so this is where we are with it. Okay, so one of the things that you're really, really good with, and this is what I've gotten used to if ever I ride with Manny, is that at some point there is going to be a GoPro pointing in my direction. (laughs) Especially if I'm riding right next to him with a selfie stick or or whatever. (laughs) And you seem to be a master at that. But tell us about that and tell us about the importance of social media because you've got a lot of social media traction very quickly with your thing. So please tell us about that and why that's important. Um, you know, um, this is something that Biola just alluded to. You know, um, I feel like the main obstacle and the issue that that stops a lot of people from getting into the sport is is that people feel like it's quite exclusive. You know, that cycling is quite exclusive. So this is where social media comes in. With us, we're very active on Instagram. We post, you know, videos of our rides. You know, commentary we, we, of us just talking, like today, just chilling, we will post that. And what that does is it gives, you know, um, a, 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 you know the newer member, of, a, someone who's just, you know, decided to take up cycling, a chance to see that actually they are represented and that they do belong. And that's something I never felt when I first started cycling. I just did not see people that looked like me. So it made it harder for me to sort of um, get into the sport. But now, because we're all together, so many faces here, so many people, different shades out here, this is what I'm talking about, people can see that and just be like, you know what, it's actually quite inclusive and it's a good culture here um, as opposed to seeing cycling as some sort of like, as almost like golf <laughs> so, yeah. yeah Okay, and, and the other point as well with, with BCN, so obviously it's kind of part, some of it is kind of park rides around Regent's Park, Right. sometimes you're out bashing it out to Ashdown Forest as you were yesterday. My knees are still recovering I'm sure, um <laughs> But also, it's about connecting people. So it's, it's not, it's, this isn't, you're not necessarily a cycling club in the traditional sense. Because no. you're in a cycling club too. You're in Finsby Park CC. Yeah. Right? And other members of BCN are also in cycling clubs. Yes, we, we encourage that very much. Yeah. So it's really, a, a, the, the network is a very important aspect of this, yeah. right? Yeah. And so if we're talking about the people who bought your kit, because you've got some kit now, BCN yeah. kit, which looks yeah. absolutely awesome. I mean, it really, it's the, the most beautiful looking cycling kit. I've seen in a long time. Oh, thank but, you. But when we look on social media and who's posting themselves in their new kit, where are we finding these people? One second. <laughs> I like that compliment. I brought that just for you. <laughs> I was wondering when this is going to happen. So uh, tell me, Manny, so what's the most postage you've had to pay to get the kit to the people who's ordered oh, it? Oh, absolutely where, ridiculous. Where are we talking here? We're, we're talking Texas, USA, New York. Um, I've had... Um, requests for orders in Asia um, and it's, it's just it, it goes to show that the kind of global reach um, you know what we're doing really has um, 
so yeah, it's just it's, it's just wonderful that people, you know, it doesn't matter where they are around the world, they they see what we're doing and they instantly feel connected. Um, also, it goes to show that there's clearly a void here um, that we we need to fill. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, look, we're going to come back to BCN a little bit later, but I just want to bring in Yuande. Yui, hi. Hi. So if you can just tell everybody who you are and what you do, and you'll route into cycling very briefly. Um, so my name is Yuande, but I think most of you know me as Yui. Um, I'm currently doing a PhD and then working to fund cycling. Um, and I got into cycling... I think just over two and a half years ago, um, switched over from rowing, um, which has a similar perception uh, in terms of being exclusive, elitist, but I think the things I've seen uh, in rowing to try and change that perception um, are more than what's happening in cycling at the moment. So what are you seeing in rowing that you're not seeing in cycling? Um, so I spent two years as a rowing coach, um, so I just finished end of last year, and I was specifically employed by British Cycling to work in an area of socio-economic deprivation um, to try and uh, give the opportunity of rowing to people that might not have had means to do that by themselves. So I went into a couple of local schools, took some rowing machines applied for some funding uh, through London Sport so I could go and introduce people to the sport and how I got in. So I got into the sport through indoor rowing and it was really great to do that, to see girls and boys of different backgrounds okay. working together. Okay, so it's also about looking at other sports and other areas like finance and so forth to think about, okay, what things can we, that they're doing that we can be doing within cycling. That's one of those points. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to address you is you're, you're a PhD student. Yes. So obviously there is a limit to your budget. Yes. But <laughs> you're still cycling. Now, I just want to sort of share with you, kind of, this is kind of a, a conversation between two white guys about diversity. So you've got one guy who is hopefully, quote, woke or whatever you want to call it, talking to his friend about, well, you know, why aren't we seeing more black and minority people in, in, in cycling? And his friend, who's perhaps not so woke or whatever you want to call it, is saying things like, and I have had this, well, you know, maybe it's just a socioeconomic thing. You know, maybe it's just a, you know, money, it's very expensive sport, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things in the report that I was very adamant on, as somebody who started in the 1980s, when it was categorically not a middle-class sport, I would tell you that for nothing, and Ian will back me up, I'm sure. Um, it wasn't a cheap sport, but it was accessible. And the most of the people that I worked, raced with back in the day were the sons and daughters of people who were plumbers and electricians and small business owners. They were not the sons and daughters of investment bankers. Um, so, Yui, this... We, we, we talked about this in the report, and you and I have spoken about this too, this notion of expense as being some sort of barrier towards greater diversity. What would you say to the kind of white guys that I've been riding with who might say those kinds of things? You don't need a DI2 group set to get to your second cap. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> Manny, pipe down. Um, when I decided that I wanted to commit to cycling fully, um, 
spoke to one of my friends who told me that I couldn't use my current road bike and I needed to get a new one. And he helped me look for one. I spent, I think, just under £500 on a Varenti. So that's the Wiggle Own brand. It had a Tiago group set. And to me, it was just a bike. And I didn't think, like, oh, I need something really fancy. And when I... I actually started racing track first. But when I started racing on the road, it didn't, like, occur to me that I needed something that had, like... 12, well, you can get 12 speed now. <laughs> uh, but something that had like 11 speed, like really good shifting, really good brakes. Um, and when I was getting dropped, I didn't think it was my bike. I thought it was me. Um, <laughs> and as I said, yeah, you don't need anything fancy no. to get to a second cat. So I raced, I've been racing on that bike for two years. Okay. Winning crits. And, and the so. other thing, the other observation I have, especially when I ride with you, Manny, you know, sometimes I'm seeing guys on superfly bikes with deep sections, Carl Nargo's, DI2, super record, all of that kind of thing. Um, as I might sit with some of my Southwest London cycling colleagues uh, of various clubs. Um, but also, I'm seeing guys on the regular kind of club run setup, aluminium frame, 105 or Tiagra group set, riding side by side. So it's, it's, it's just like anybody else the, the the financial barriers are not necessarily it's not to say that they're not there in aggregate but certainly it, it's not the barrier that it's made out to be would you all agree with that yeah so um i think see with things like cycle to work scheme like buying a bike you don't have to commit to that and commit to that whole expense in one go um but still for some people so i'm gonna bring in viola here like if it's a sport you're not so sure about, like, you don't want to get a bike straight away. So when Viola showed up to Velocity Posse last year, she showed up without a bike. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which That's I'm now realising is a mistake, but I don't know. I didn't so, know something. Um, I, I lent her my bike so that she could take part in our skills sessions. And I think just that kind of um, environment where someone can show up and see whether they like it or not before they make that commitment is great. Like, so Veloc Posse is a very lucky club to own uh, track bikes that it lends out to its club members. And I'm not part of Veloc Posse anymore, but I'm so grateful for that because I don't think I would have been able to get as far as I have in racing without it. And there are quite a few clubs that do have bikes that they're willing to lend out to members but they just don't make a big deal out of it and if they did like it would open up the sport to so many other people good Andy, good thank you a quick question can everyone hear us at the back there yeah can everybody hear us at the back we are we're good okay is there, how are we doing heat wise and I, I can see jules with the fan are you okay i don't mean lady velo can we just all give a round of applause for lady velo please you're here jules walker i'm She's back in the frame and she's back in her spiritual home of Look Mum No Hands and it's an amazing book and you should all go out buy it and read it and I'm loving it. Especially the stuff you're saying about roadies. Guilty. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I want to move the conversation on now and I want to bring in Junaid. And Junaid and I bumped into each other in Richmond Park, quite literally as I described. Hi. So if you just want to tell everybody who you are, what you do, brothers on bikes. Um, When I'm not thinking about cycling or cycling itself, I'm a school teacher. Uh, out in Hackney Um, oh sorry Uh, I'm a school teacher in Hackney when I'm not cycling Uh, the way Brothers on Bikes started was uh, it was out of frustration really 
I started cycling to get to uni. Um, it was very cheap to do so. I walked into Halfheads, bought a bike for £300. Zone 1 to 4 travel a month is about 150 200 It just made sense. Uh, after a while, I realized, actually, this is, this is wonderful, the freedom. You can go where you want, when you want. So I wanted to go out further and, uh, further and faster, really. Uh, I didn't know many cyclists. I didn't think to join a club or anything. But then I realized my neighbor had a bike as well. So... I was like, right, you got a bike, let's go for a ride. Uh, so we'd go every Saturday morning, but he'd have uh, golf at 9 a.m. So we'd leave around 8, and we'd end up doing about 10 miles before he'd had to be back home. And I was thinking, this is a bit crap, because <laughs> <laughs> I do about 8, 9 miles to uni, and then 8, 9 miles back. I'm not really gaining anything. Um, so this is where Strava comes in. And I've been told this story many times, because it's a bit... Um, well, you, you tell me. I, I, well, I tell us pe- again. Go on. Let's assume I, we have. I stalk people on Strava, so <laughs> <laughs> you too have somebody. So I notice, notice people who do similar routes, who go out uh, just past my house, etc. So uh, <laughs> I, I messaged a few guys, and uh, one one decided he wanted to go for a ride, um, and he 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 had a man, he'd just been commuting. He'd done charity rides in the past and whatnot. And uh, he was looking also for someone to go out and revive his cycling as well um, for leisure. And what happened was he had a small network of, uh, you could say, brothers, Muslim people. Uh, and they, who, you wouldn't label them as cyclists. They had cycled once. They'd maybe done uh, a 50-mile sportive or a charity ride, but now their bike was gathering dust. Um, so it slowly grew. That group grew and grew. And then we all decided one day we'd do a London to Cambridge... No, Cambridge to London night ride. So um, we, we, none of us really had any cycling skills, no group riding skills, but because it was nighttime and it was about 50 miles, it was cold, we had to stick together. Um, we, had, we had no choice, but, so we were forced to ride in a group. And you could say that laid the foundations for Brothers on Bikes. It wasn't very formal... Um, the WhatsApp name just changed to Brothers on Bikes, and that's how it really started. Um, and where are you now? How many members now? Uh, you could say on Strava, it's a bit flattering. It says 650, but I'll, I'll, it's, it's not 650, I assure you. Um, oh, come on, don't, no, don't be modest. No, it's, no, it's, honestly. And this is across the UK? That's right. Right, yes. okay. And this is mostly sort of Muslim guys who are into cycling? About 97, 98%, yes. Yeah, okay, um, okay. So, one of the questions that I've got for you is, when I was going through the various drafts and I was circulating it to various people to get feedback and con- consult and so forth, and one of the things that really jumped out at so many people that was like, oh my God, I never ever thought about that before, was um, the matter of Lycra shorts. Yes. So, tell us about Lycra shorts and the deal about Lycra shorts for a, for a Muslim man who wants to ride a bike. Uh, so, if you have a quick look... Um this is what I would wear on a normal club ride, maybe a TT, maybe a tighter jersey, but I would wear these wherever I go. Um, so baggy shorts. That's correct. So in uh, Islam, you're meant to cover from your navel to your knees and without giving too much away, uh, whether you're male or female. So uh, we, we try to stay away from lycra or bare lycra. We still wear the bibs and the padded shorts just underneath. Right. Um, yeah. 
and, and that's not all Muslim necessarily, but that's certainly right. if, you're, if you're observant, and I think we all that's understand, right. the, whichever, our, whatever our religion, I think we understand the concept that some people are more observant than others. That's yeah. a personal choice. Some people are perfectly happy to wear lycra, yeah. but others would much prefer to wear something slightly baggier, right. whether it's this sort of thing or whether it's lycra shorts with a, a, other shorts that's right. over the top. Yes. Okay. So, so what sort of reaction do you get from other cyclists on the road? Um, Double takes usually. Um, they normally, when I go to races, rides, sportives, uh, the thing they talk about most is normally the shorts. How it's more aerodynamic not to wear shorts, etc. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I do understand where they're coming from. I have deep section wheels. I have a team machine. I mean, time machine. Sorry, BMC, a very aero bike. Uh, but then I'm wearing these, so I do see where they're coming from. Um, it's just. That's, that's who we are, really. Do, do you know, I must say, like, last year, I think I bumped into your group. Um, it was the last stage of the Tour of Britain stage. Yeah. Um, and it was in London, and they did a little sportive, right, close roads around um, Trafalgar Square. And um, as soon as it kicked off, there was, uh, there was several um, uh, guys from your group, yeah. right, were, were just riding off, bumming off. And I actually just tailgated them, right, and just got, got behind them, started drafting. There was, like, six of us just literally smashing it like a Team TT. And I, all through I was just wondering, I was like, why have they got all these cool bikes and, like, wearing really long shorts? <laughs> I, I never quite understood that um, until, I think, afterwards when I, when I stopped by and I just asked a question and they were like, oh, you know, yeah, it's for um, religious reasons. And all of a sudden, it just all made sense to me. But, yeah, um, tonight, if, feel free to ask any questions at yep. all. You know, there's Please. no limit to anything. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Man. Well, look, we're going to come back to that, but th- thank sure. you. But any other, are there any sort of other kind of issues that come across to sort of Muslim cyclists within the cycling community that cyclists who are not from a Muslim background kind of, oh, what's this? Or, yeah. or barriers that you might see? So, generally, uh, most Muslims, obviously not all, do not drink, do not eat pork. Uh, we generally stay away from pubs. Uh, so I know some ma- people mentioned in your survey that uh, when clubs stop only at pubs, it's kind of off-putting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, we pray five times, observing Muslims pray five times a day. Uh, so again, if there's a prayer within a ride, it's, it doesn't usually happen. Uh, mm-hmm. As I was talking to Andy earlier, they're mostly towards the evening and afternoon, uh, but it's something to take into account. But, but is this kind of where the benefit of things like Brothers in Bikes comes in because you know depending on how observant you are you know you could be perfectly happy in a regular cycling club otherwise you might need a kind of brothers on bikes type setup or a combination depending on where you are is that is that the sense of it or what what do you see i think uh, brothers on bikes is just a safe haven for new new muslim cyclists really they just just see people of their own color own race doing what they want to do they aspire to do and they feel safe there. We always push brothers uh, to go out, join new clubs, get different experiences. We're not a very racing club, not yet anyway. So there are some quick people. We'd, we'd love them to get on the racing scene, whether mm-hmm. in Bob's sh- uh, Bob jerseys or not, really. And so they look great, can, those jerseys. Yeah. Sorry, PJ, go on. Yeah. Is there a sisters on bikes? Uh, no, but we've worked with, we're starting to work with Cycle Sisters and Hornbeam Joyriders who do exactly the same things, but for sisters. Okay, yeah. and we're going to come back to that. Well, sure. actually, we're going to come to that in a second, actually. So now I want to pass the microphone to Nasima. Which one do you want? <laughs> Hello. Hello. So Hello. I've known you for a while. Um, Nasima from Windy Miller. Please tell everybody about yourself, about Windy Miller, your route into cycling and where we are now. And, and when you actually first saw the first draft of the report and what 
that made you think and feel, as someone who'd already been in the cycling world for quite a while? Yeah, I'm old, thank you. (laughs) Experienced. You were a junior when I met you, I'm sure. No. Um, So I have been... My name's Nasima. Hello, everybody. Um, I have been cycling for 20 years now um, and started Windy Miller, which is a custom bike brand... Um, as well as a clothing brand and a cycle club, most importantly, to this meeting. Um, Ten years ago, it's our birthday in December. Um, So the club element has always been my baby because when we started in 2009, I actually had nobody to cycle with. Um, My husband, on the other hand, who's co-founder of Windy Miller was um, an elite national cyclist um, and it was only him and his teammates that I knew who rode a bike in the area that we live uh, which is very rural um, and in the middle of the sticks between Guildford and Farnham Um, so as soon as we got a premises um, I stuck a poster up in the shop door asking if anyone else would like to join me for a bike ride Um, And slowly, a week at a time, we actually started off as being a women's only club. Um, So one week at a time, a woman would turn up and we just slowly grew. Um, And looking at Facebook, we use Facebook to organise our rides. Um, And this morning we had 940 members, um, which is a lot. But I would say because we don't have, we're not a traditional club. Um, we don't have membership forms, we don't have committees, uh, we don't have club secretaries. Um, and in doing so, we have a lot of what I call club sluts. So <laughs> people who um, are very welcome, all sluts are welcome, uh, but they can be members of one club and join us for our rides as well. So um, I'd say we have about far, 50 uh, people who rock up on a Saturday if the weather's good um, and all the rest are stalkers slash sluts. <laughs> so, uh, now, I, now there's, there's something very distinctive about Windy Miller and how it's branded itself because when I started racing, I raced a lot in the 1980s and I raced with guys in clubs like Manchester Wheelers and Chesterfield Couriers and GS Strada and Dunnington RC and so on. Most of them are kind of in the north, so I grew up in the northwest, kind of old school cycling, a roadie. Um, so and we had certain ways of doing things and you kind of when you turned up to a race you expected to see certain things and certain styles of kit and so forth and I remember when I started racing properly again in 2010 and I did a road race called the Peter Young Road Race which is near Chobham in Surrey it's a national B road race that's elite one two proper serious okay it was it was my first elite road race coming back into the sport having done some third cat races and we're setting off at this fantastic pace. I'm absolutely smashing it. I'm this older guy now. But I'm looking down the front of the bunch, and I'm seeing these guys at the front thinking, who the hell are they? And they're all wearing this very garish pink <laughs> jersey in a road race. Good God. It's your next present. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so more you, neon now. It was baby pink when oh, we first started. Bless you. 
Bless you. So you've certainly done things differently. Yeah, absolutely. We were very, when we first started, we were very Marmite. You either loved us or hated us. Uh, we were the first club, well, apart from Rafa, obviously, who wore head to toe in baby pink and it was my fault I did find out that I was pregnant with the girl so everything was pink <laughs> um, so what did the guys think of that so you had a, they guys, loved it you had guys like Alex Hyam who'd come off a pro team yeah he, he loves it he's metrosexual all the way um, yeah and Henry looks good in pink Henry looks brilliant in really? pink he yeah he rocked it. it loads of people <laughs> rock pink um, so yeah even our branding our logo our font was very Marmite um, and um, and that was important to us because we wanted to break from, in terms of, say, the cycling club, break from tradition. Sorry, Andy. Right. Break from the old school and just be a bit more modern. Okay. <laughs> Is that the right word? I don't That's know. Fine. That's fine. Um, so what did, what did that look like in terms of the people that were gravitating towards you as opposed to other local clubs in your area? So the people we attracted, obviously, initially we were a women's only club, but gradually we would start our rides at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and that appealed to lots of people because everybody loves a lion. Um, <laughs> so initially, and also I was a very slow rider back then um, and we were maybe doing 30 miles at 13, 14 mile an hour average Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I wanted to do and I wanted to know if anyone wanted to join me and slowly more women came along but then the husbands of, the boyfriends of, the injured teenage boys started begging can we come along too? So this is kind of the inverse of what sometimes happens in cycling, where it's the fathers and the yeah. boys, and then it's yeah. the sisters and the daughters that yeah. get into it. I'm sorry, to, but that really was how it was yeah. back in so the yeah, day. Yeah, we had the opposite. You had so, the opposite impact. Yeah, where not all men want to be super competitive, uh-huh. not all women want to be, not, you know, women yeah. want to be competitive as well. Yeah. We just, we were doing what we were doing, and uh, in the end we said, yeah, we'll open it up to all, come along. But we still maintained once a week a women's only ride okay. where everyone's invited. If a man right. rocks up, he can still join in. But he's on your rules. Is that well, it? Well, my rules, yeah. Yeah, yeah. good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So tell us about... So we started to have a conversation about the report. Yeah. And I showed you, I think it was like the first draft. We had and a we chat. Had a, we had a chat. Yeah. And we, we weren't quite sure where it was going, but, yeah. you know, let's see. But then what was the moment where you thought, wow, okay, this is something... We, we well, I was super excited because in my 20 years of cycling, and still to this day, I have not ridden with another Muslim person in England. You will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Shahina... Hello. And, and, and speaking of Strava stalking, <laughs> <laughs> I stalk. Uh, well, my husband rode with Andy, bumped oh, into these two. Yeah, they bu- they were riding together. Henry said, "I met another Muslim woman." I was like, "What on a bicycle?" And he went, "Yeah." And I was like, "In Lycra?" And he went, "Yeah." And I was like, "Right." So I got straight on Strava and I stalked her. <laughs> now we're best of friends. <laughs> Not that we've ridden together yet. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I understand we live in the sticks. And also Shahab down here. Um, Obviously, yeah. So one thing I would like to say is that I did 
Um, I didn't quite understand the concept of Brothers on Bikes. So when the Cycling Weekly article came out about Brothers on Bikes, I I was really excited. And I thought, yippee, I'm tying together two of my worlds at least. Um, And wanted to join, but didn't grasp the concept of it being for brothers. Um, So... uh, so it was a no, um, which was, and I'm now going to do uh, sandwiching the negative, and now I'm going to go on to the positive bit, um, which was fine. Um, Janae's done a brilliant job of getting more pe- more men cycling in the Muslim community, which should be, which is applauded and should be applauded. Um, but selfishly, I wanted to ride with them, and uh, I was like, "What about me?" Um, so. Not everyone is a strict Muslim, as Andy said, as you can probably tell from me sat up here. Um, And Shahab contacted me and said that he'd love to come to the Surrey Hills. Being a Muslim man, he's like, I'm not as strict. Um, I'd love to join him for a ride. So Strava stalking is so good in that sense and that it does connect communities. <laughs> I don't know what I was saying last. <laughs> that people could. Someone from Bob helped you. Oh yeah, so you he was. Yeah, I broke my arm cycling, like going downhill last year. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought I talked loud enough. Anyway. Um, so um, <laughs> I broke my arm last year cycling. Didn't really want to get back on it. Um, I come from actually very conservative. It's not even about religion. I come from a very conservative Bangladeshi background where, like, I'm one of seven girls and none of them ride bikes and my mum really doesn't like it. So to get back on it, Aman really helped my confidence. He waited for me for hours at Reading because he started at, like, 6 or 7 a.m. And I started at the, like, 10.30 wave. So there was a massive, like, discrepancy between his time and my time. But he waited. He, like, came back um, to help me get to the finish line. Whatever it was from like fixing my bike to like going on rides it i feel like perhaps indirectly that the bobs may not have wished that from their network but actually people from their group have helped other people in the community and it's just that having that ripple effect that it may not be bcn on a big bcn ride it may just be like me seeing nathaniel on a bcn regent's park laps that helps build that community. It doesn't have to be on big group rides or like massive initiatives that gets gets people on their bike. And Shahina, so I got to meet Shahina a few weeks ago on a BCN ride. Um, we were riding to Windsor, and you did so great. That was the, that was your first Windsor ride, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you, 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 you rocked it. You rock- Can we have a big round of applause, please, for China? You absolutely rocked it. Thank you. So I'm sorry, I had to. I was slightly distracted, so I kind of missed a little bit of the flow of the conversation. But I just want to pick up with. I think we're are we. I'm done. Okay? Yeah, I'm. I'm done. I feel like I just Thank wanted you. to end on a positive saying. And, and I'm rocking my Windy Miller. Yeah, you must be so hot, hot, so hot. <laughs> I gotta represent. I gotta represent. Okay, so um, Morris Burton is in the house. Hi, sir. And we're going to come to you very shortly. Very shortly. Hi, Mia. Mia Burton is in the house too. 
Hi. And we're going to come to you guys in a sec, so just bear with us. Um, but I want to move on to PJ. Hi. Hello. So PJ and I have known each other quite a while because we both work in the same industry. And um, you've been in, into cycling for a very long time. And one of the things that we've been talking about, and it's identified in the report a little bit, is this whole thing of etiquette. You know, all this weird road bike stuff. You know, all this, you know, your handlebar tape has got to be this, and you, you, you shave your legs? Really? You know, um, my partner, when I started cycling again, and we've been together quite a long time, as soon as I started cycling again, I shaved my legs for the first time in 22 years. I don't want to tell you what kind of reaction I got. <laughs> so all of these weird things of etiquette so you know someone who's come from a minority background you've obviously worked in the music industry where we have our own issues as well and then you look in cycling and then you look at this culture of cycling and I know you're someone you know you love your classic Fausto copy bikes Bianchi jerseys and so on what is your, your, your sense of this and do you see any kind of disconnect at all between the culture of cycling as it is as it's evolved as a sport and for newcomers coming in to trying to make sense of this especially newcomers who are people of colour who may feel a, a little addition, additional nerves as well trying to understand all of this what's your sense um, would you well, say before I start I think um, and I know we haven't got much time but I'd just like to say a massive thank you to Andy for actually taking the initiative and, and, and putting this report together. It's long overdue. So I think we should all give him a round of applause. <laughs> um, I think when it comes to the... Well, I'm going to use the word rules in, in two senses here. Um, when it comes to rules in cycling clubs, I think you know, the rules that keep you safe on the road, um, which keep your fellow riders safe on the road and, and other road re- users on the road safe to be applauded um, how those are enforced in individual clubs is a matter for those clubs and I've been a member for many of them and I think generally you know once a club understands that you're safe and that you aren't going to half wheel and do something crazy slam on your brakes change directions and toward um, then you know you'll be kind of accepted on that level then you also have you know this sort of cultural um, this etiquette as you describe it um, and I'm not necessarily talking about uh, you know those rules that were uh, published by the Veluminati uh, those are sort of uh, kept those are, <laughs> those are kept on the uh, comedy section of my bookshelf and I think that's where they belong so they you know anybody that spends too much time um, worrying about the length of their socks or uh, the fact that their handlebar tape doesn't match their, their saddle colour Fine, there's probably room for that. Um, but when it becomes snobbish behaviour to the extent that it's excluding people from taking up the sport or feeling part of the group, then that's a problem. And, you know, for me, that's always just been something you ignore. Mm-hmm. If it becomes something that takes away from the enjoyment of why you're actually doing it, then it has no place in cycling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's part of... It's... it's um, there's enough heritage in cycling. There's enough rich heritage in cycling that needs to be celebrated. This needs to be celebrated. Um, anything yeah. that sort of uh, ex- is providing a barrier to that, mm-hmm. in terms of clubs, sort of, or you know, anybody that rides with you and starts talk- quoting Rule Five to you, they need to take a long, hard look at themselves, and you need to stop <laughs> riding with them. You know, in my view. So, what is Rule Five? <laughs> I have no idea. 
you know, um, you know I, I, that sort of um, culture, I think, is it's, I, I would like to think has long mm. since passed. Okay. Um, I've always felt very welcome in every club that I've joined. Sure. Uh, every race that I've been to or you know, every event that I've participated in, uh, it's never been an issue for me. But that could be peculiarity to me, perhaps. Right. And I'm okay. you know, willing to accept that. Okay, thank you. And I have to say, I'll confess to something here because I had a slightly snobbish moment myself very early on in meeting Manny. And we went out on a ride, and Manny turned up in world championship stripes. Oh. And, no, yeah, okay. So you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know. I but let me tell you something. Yeah, you, you, you rocked it. I felt like I was riding with Peter Sagan that day. You know? And when we think about what world rainbow stripes mean in this sport, and there is that thing, if you've not earned the rainbow stripes on the end of your jersey, you shouldn't be wearing them. Well, what's that about? But then there's another conversation. I'm, I'm just going to sort of leave a thought with you and we can maybe park it, but it's something to think about. Is We're thinking about minority diversity, black and minority diversity today. We've, we, we think a lot about women in cycling. That's been a big agenda. But, you know, we recently had Pride Week you know, and Pride in cycling. When we think about the, the LGBTQ community and what that represents and how they represent themselves, what do we see color-wise? It's rainbow stripes. You know, rainbow stripes isn't just necessarily about winning a world championships. It can be other things too. And it did make me think about that. You know, I probably wouldn't still wear a rainbow jersey, honestly, but, it can't, but that's not to say that people shouldn't. Oh, the only and jersey it, it you should wear things. is a Marmite jersey. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a definite no-no. All right. Well, I'm conscious of time. I'm also conscious of the heat in this place. And thank you, everybody, for staying with us. Is, I'm, I'm sensing if there's anybody need cups of water, then just make your way to the bar. I hope they can help us out if anybody needs that. I don't want anybody fainting. Um, I want to come to Matt Kumar now. So Matt and I are clubmates. We are both in Kingston Wheelers. And I want to say a big thank you uh, to Tim and Derek and Kara and everybody from the uh, Kingston Wheelers Committee Hi, um, because they're part of the reason why we're here. This is where the conversation started, and they were very gracious of me to give committee time, because if you're in a cycling club, even if you're not on a committee, even if you're relatively new, if you've got an idea, you're seeing something that's not happening, you can contact one of your committee members and say, I'd like to come to a meeting and raise an idea. And that's exactly what I did with Kingston Wheelers, and that's why we're here. We just took it a little bit further. So anyone in this room can affect change. Anyone in this room who's in a cycling club, who's hearing things today, which they think can apply to their cycling club, even if you're not on the committee, even if you're not the club chairman, you can still influence things. So please remember that. And I just want to say a big thank you to my Kingston Wheelers Club colleagues um, for enabling me to have the time to put that across within the club and to lead the road to where we are now. Um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But coming back to Matt, you're a member of Kingston Wheelers. You're doing your thing. Um, You saw the report. And you're looking around Kingston Wheelers. And what were your thoughts about how this applied to us as a cycling club? Because we're an open and friendly cycling club, but we're very, very white. That's true. So we are a cycling club that's mainly made up of middle-aged men and, let's say, mammals, in fact. Um, which is one thing I noticed when I rocked up five years ago, um, joining up as a wheeler. I figured, I looked around and said, is anyone else like me? Or is it just me now? Or have, I, have I picked the wrong day? Uh, but that was what I thought was the first instance. And over time, I saw some, mu- some diverse members and so on. And we saw, for example, Ron. He's out over here. Um, he, he was, and he, yeah. Hey, Ron. And, and he was one of, those, he's one of those wheelers. I said, OK, there's another bloke out there, another person there. It was cool. Um, so I'm thinking, OK, this is not too bad. And everyone's very friendly and inclusive and helped each other out and gave you those advice and techniques and tips and so on. And for me, I've been quite involved with the wheelers over the time and leading out social rides and so on. And it meant I was able to help out those new minorities and new people out on board and the beginners and so on. But what I found was the challenges is how did I figure it out? How did I know that this was the right club for me? And how is it for a number of other clubs? Because we look at around London, we are a diverse community and we are incredibly diverse. And we look at cycling clubs we don't see much diversity around it. And what can we do to change it is the biggest question out of here. And one thing I think is, uh, is marketing on one side and relating to other communities. So it could be marketing on social media or print marketing um, to diverse members and other, other diverse um, clubs and so on. But what you could say, if you relate to other communities, like say religious communities or communities in schools and so on, then you may be able to get diverse members. And it's a small thing to do but you could get a big, big reassurance. But also, I'd say, representation. Like, if you had a member of the Wheelers or something, or member of your cycling club who represents BAME, for example, that go-to person is the best thing for some person who's joining. Just have that reassurance. I'm there. We'd be okay. You're not the only person there. We'd be okay to cycle along. We'd be okay to take that pain off your shoulder, that little... And so on. That's why I think is the biggest key. And what I like about your rides, because you and I have ridden, ridden together as well, and it was a nice, steady ride. You know, I, yeah. I didn't feel like I was going to get hammered like I did on Saturday <laughs> um, by the fast boys with the second cat licenses. But you know, we had a very like, lovely, pleasant ride. It's very social. We had a nice long coffee stop. You know, it's a very accessible ride. And, and you've got credit to you. You kind of stepped up and you said you're happy to be an ambassador for our club. Yeah. So tell us about what that means for you. What that means to me is this. I'm able to get those skills I've gained over the years that I've joined. I can share it to other riders, which I'm already doing. But being an ambassador means if there's a person like me who joined five years ago who's not too sure 
and saying, I might not join, I'm not sure. It's going to be that reassurance. That's it. It's going to help them out. It's going to say, let's go. We're going to give it a go. We're going to see how it is. There's another person who's going to be helping me by their side. And it's like being your family. It's um, having a parent there say, yes, you can go along, push it along and carry on. It's that motivation. And that's what I think the ambassador bit is going to help for other diverse members and future coming. And we've got some great pictures of you in the report. <laughs> so the one, you're, you've got your big sunglasses on. Yes. That sort of pinky top. <laughs> yes. I, love, I love that picture so much. Yes. Um, and that's another thing that we're looking at as a club because we're re- redesigning our website right now. That's correct. Yeah, so we, we are. So we've got to think about, you know, who's in the room when we're putting our photographs up on that website, on the website homepage. What do people see when they come to Kingston Wheeler's website? And you look at any website across any cycling club in London and what do we normally see? We normally see mostly white people, that's predominantly correct. guys. Definitely. And, and that's that- something we need to look at. Definitely. That's, that's just uh, with cycling clubs, but also if you look at the media with cycling, let's say products and so on, like jerseys and shorts and cycling stuff, you see advertised. You don't see many um, ethnic minority people in those advertising media. And if we improve that, we could be okay. I mean, that could be a way forward. You look at other brands and other sports that have a lot of diversity. You, have, you look at other advertising on media, for example, for kids and so on. Um, you can see mixed race families. You can see different cultures, different diversity networks representing themselves in advertising and media. But you look at cycling, it's very, let's say, white-orientated. And that's one thing It could be a bit of a boundary which we could hopefully overcome in the near future. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And I just want to give a round of applause to everybody who's been on the panel so far. Thank you. And... I, do, I, moder- I moderate a lot of panels and I do quite a lot of public speaking and it's quite, it's quite unusual to have this number of people but I really wanted to get across to you what it took to get this report together. There is an African proverb along the lines, well, it is basically, it, it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, you could also say it takes a village uh, to write a diversity report and this is very much part of the village. Many of you have been part of the village. If you've rocked up today, you're part of the village and it's something that we can all do. We can all contribute something towards this so thank you um so i'm just going to move on to the second part of the evening now so i've got two gentlemen here that i'd like to introduce because we've been talking very much in the present but i think it's very important that we kind of understand our history too um so if we can shuffle along a little bit if that's okay guys and make a little bit of room we have two special gentlemen here so (laughs) if we got if you want to, do you want to ju- jump up? Is that okay, Morris? All right. And yeah, you both got radio mics. Great, fantastic. So, gentlemen, I'm going to let you introduce yourselves. I couldn't possibly do it. Are they? Okay. Okay. This is uh, Morris Burton, and uh, he's been racing ever since. I think he had a. Uh, Two legs. <laughs> um, we we raced together. Well, he, he, he started. Ra- he started. Oh, yeah, hold, hold it to your mouth like that. Okay. Can you hear it? All right. So Morris Morris was um, uh, started racing in the seventies, uh, late seventies, early eighties, and, and did well early in the eighties. Seventy one. Okay. Shall I let him introduce himself? <laughs> oh. and, and Morris, could you introduce this gentleman next to you, please? That's better. There you are. Right. This gentleman was. At, we were at school together. We went to Hernhill 
velodrome together, you see. And um, basically, in those days, there was, it was me and this man here, you see. There was another guy riding at Hearn Hill of yep. colour, but um, there was a difference. The difference is, is that me and him, we weren't there to make up the numbers. We were there to win. Absolutely. See, the other guy, well, everyone loved him because he came last. <laughs> However, he did, he did always start first, though. He was always off the front at the beginning. The first lap, he was always off the front. By the third lap, he was out the back. Well, either that or, or, or they let him... I mean, it is what it is, but, the, the, but that was the reality. There was, there was me and, and there was Joe and there was Jim. Now, you see... I brought Joe here today because in spite of all these things, and there, there was issues at the time, but um, you know what, I'm, that was never going to stop me, you see. Um, but Joe, Joe, Joe had other interests as well. Well, no, let's be fair, there's, some, there's something else. There was a man, a great man called Bill Dodds, and without Bill Dodds, he was white, it was, it was, it was not a problem that we were black at all, in fact, he... he um, he worked with everybody, but he saw that Morris and I had either the spark or determination or something. I mean, I was kind of unaware of it. I was just amazed that somebody would give me so much of their time and their profession and to bring me up to... Oh, you know what? It's too close together. Maybe the mic's a little too close, so to, just to, be yeah, careful with to spend that. that time to bring me up in, in, uh, and, and train me, or train us, and we trained hard together. We went, through a lot of, we went through a lot of discrimination and there was a period when the Aussies came to London, Australians, and they were absolutely single-minded and they worked, we worked with them. I don't think a lot of we English... So, so tell us about the club structure at that time. Which club were you in? Oh, the VCL. VCL. So we were in the VCL, yeah. Okay, and VCLs are still you know, one, of, one of the best clubs in London still today. Would you say? If you say one so. of the best. Yes. I'm yeah, not gonna, well, yeah. well, we were, we started in the VCL. Bill Dodd started the VCL. Mm-hmm. You see, and um, it all started really. I mean, pull it, I, to step back a little bit further, my father didn't want me to have a bike. No, did I mine. was. <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't know him at that time. Well, I knew of him. We were in the same school, but we didn't talk at that time. So I knew you and we Joe got didn't on know the each bike other. together. Okay. We really, yeah. you know, got to. Knitted, but um, at twelve, I, I decided I needed a bike, so I, I, I managed. I got a bike. I'm not telling you exactly how, but I got the bike. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bike took me all the way to selection for the Commonwealth Games at seventeen. The same bike. See, okay. I won races with the bike. Obviously, not on the track. On the track, we we we, we went to Hearn Hill. I went to Hearn Hill. You see, I, I didn't have. I knew I had ability, but I didn't know how or where to go. How to hone it, how to how focus to, How it. to get anywhere with it, because, we, we, you know, there was no internet or anything. And so we went with the school to Hearn Hill, and Bill Dodd sat us in the stadium, all of us, in the grandstand, and he said, from here you can go to the Olympic Games. That's all I needed to know. See, because okay. I knew that this is, this, I knew I was in the right place. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was that was I was just turned just coming up to fifteen years old at that point, mm-hmm. and um, from then on, Bill 
helped me myself and and Joe. I think you came. I came after. Yeah. I did. I did. A year later, yeah. was it a year later? About a year later. Yeah. I didn't hear that speech. You can go to the room. So those early steps were you? Were you say they were quite welcoming? Did no. you feel well, or not? <laughs> well, he, he's got a different story from, from me, you see, right. because me, I'm, I'm very blinkered, you know. You know, I don't notice what's going on other things around. I'm only interested in one thing, that's the finish line. I don't care who the hell they are or what they are. Mm -hmm. I'm going there. You see, I don't care about who, 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 you know, who you are, what colour you are. I don't care. See, I'm, that's how I. <laughs> yeah, but but, but him, so, Joe, Joe is a bit more intellectual than me. He right. thinks about so, what's okay, going well, on let's, around. Let's him, sort of break this down a little bit because everybody everybody's story is different. Joe, what was your experience in those early days getting into cycling? Well, how did you feel? How were you made to feel by the people around you? I, I have to say, at the beginning, I was quite blinkered. I was with Maurice and I was with Bill. Mm -hmm. I didn't really notice any racism until I started to win or started to get you know, close at the, at the end. Let me just, sorry to cut you there. When I won the, my first British Championship at 17, the Junior Sprint Championship, Joe was fourth in the country. The sprint, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And that was, yeah, I remember that like it was yesterday. Um, so, so the black guy who was not winning races and was finishing last, how did people respond to him and how did they respond to the two of you? Um, well, to be honest, I didn't spend much time with him. There was a complete disconnect between us. Um, and I was, I don't know, I knew they liked him, mm -hmm. and I knew they didn't like me. That's all I needed to know. Right. Um, I can give you some, some concrete incidents that happened, which were uh, quite, I found very uh, disturbing. Um, back in those days, when, with, the, with the tubs, you had to stick your tyres on, you stick, stuck our tyres on, and it, every wheel had to be checked before you were allowed on the track, mm -hmm. a turn hill. And um, so um, I would turn up with my wheel stuck on, and they would rip the tyre off. And I said to a, a, one of my friends, a white friend, Paul Fennell, I said to him, this is what they're doing to me. He said, no, he wouldn't believe it. He would not believe. He said, no, your tyres must be, must be um, faulty. So I said to him, give me your tyres that have passed. And I came to him, I presented them, and they ripped them off. And he was shocked. Totally so shocked. So this was blatant racism. This was out and out. Um, that was, I mean, I don't like to put up with that. Who could I complain to? They're the mm -hmm. judges. Let's, let's say something as well, though, here, Joe. The, the, the guy we're talking about, Jim, was in the same club yeah, with the man who ripped the tires off. off. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you've got all of this going on, the politics as well. Well, and also, even in the races, I remember um, quite clearly, Morris and I, uh, we were, in fact, I was behind Morris, and somebody's done a switch. Morris went down, and I went over the top of him. And I think a few other people came down. And about four or five people came down. Mm -hmm. We were disqualified and we were banned from racing. And was anybody else disqualified? No. Right. I, Morris, Morris took it on the chin. I didn't. This is why he says I, I look around. Uh -huh. I said, no, I'm, I'm appealing this. And with Bill's help, I went to the appeal and uh, they said there was insufficient evidence. For so, I, so I wasn't banned. Morris was banned, I think, mm -hmm. for a, a country of how many I weeks. probably went to Belgium. Yeah, that's right. right. Morris but it had other things okay. to do. And we're going but, to okay, sorry, go on. But these, things, but these things, there were many things like this. I, yeah. Fortunately, I was not really a, a fighting person, um, and I took the, a lot of these things on the chin. I saw it, but I recognised there was absolutely nothing I could do about mm -hmm. it. So I just want to move on a little bit. So, you know, Morris, you got to a point, and you, I've heard you describe it recently, where you won the National Track Championships at Leicester. Yeah, and the first one was with um, 
Joe was there. I came, I, I won the, the junior sprint championship at 17 years old. Joe came fourth. The next year, I was already senior then, 18 years old. I beat the Commonwealth Games gold and silver medalist. I won the 20 kilometers, mm -hmm. you see. And holding the flowers, there were people booing in the crowd, you yeah. see. But people I was, booing. But I was smiling. <laughs> That's good. And in that period, so the sort of the uh, early mid... This was 1974. 74. How many national titles did you win? Three. Three. I rode, I rode 1973, 74, 75. Okay. I never came back to ride anymore. <laughs> so I saw it a pointless exercise in coming back here. It wasn't getting me. I wasn't going anywhere with it. So, okay, so you win all these national titles. You're one of the, the, the most prolific winners of track races in the UK at that time. And in 1976, it's the Olympic Games. I wasn't on the squad. We've got to let that sink in. I wasn't on the squad. <laughs> there was people on the squad that never won a race. I wasn't on the squad. In the end, they, they, they had to, it was, it was so embarrassing that they, but um, I knew I wasn't going to be going, so I just had to turn my back on this place and go to Belgium. Yeah. But, but Norman Schill became the... Um, Norman Schill um, became was the national, national coach when we started, yeah. you see. And Norman, he, he Norman, put, he Norman put, gave me my first pair of trainers. Norman... So tell everybody who Norman Shield is. Not, not many people might know. Norman Shield was um, the world pursuit champion in 1955, and um, the first time he noticed me was at a training session at Leicester. I don't know. You wasn't there that time, I don't think. The man's eyes popped out of his head, <laughs> and from that point, we were. Well, it was him that got me the selection for the Commonwealth Games in New mm -hmm. Zealand in 1974. Okay. When I was, and that is the, the last time, basically, that I got selection. So but you had allies. There were, there were the, people The who trouble were with to that you, was that Norman, Norman, went Norman went to Canada. He had a right. breakdown because of the, the, the issue with the team pursuit in when the, when the, when the um, Germans crashed in 1973. Oh, yeah. The Germans crashed, and it was the final was Great Britain and, and, and Germany, and the Germans crashed. In the last lap, um, I'm not sure in the last lap, but they crashed. And at the time, the Germans were in the lead, mm -hmm. and so um, they decided to, um, although by default Britain had won because the Germans didn't finish, they crashed. But then they decided to let the Germans have the world championship. That's the British and there team. Was a, the there British was team. a, a debate. The British team okay, said that <laughs> no, we can't good. take this medal. Well, we don't okay. know exactly where Norman Shield came in all of this, but we know that he had a breakdown and he went to Canada. Okay. And the new guy that took over was a man called Tom Pinnington. Mm -hmm. And from the time that man took over, that was uh, my... It was. It was no. Right. There, was okay. one, there was one little bit. We were actually, in, in preparation for the next um, games... Um, we would automatically be on the squad. In fact, Norman put us on, on the team you know, just okay. for the selection. All right. And D when Pennington came in, he, we, they didn't even say you're not on the team. They just never sent us a letter or anything. Okay. We were just written out. Okay. Just to say, we are recording this, by the way, guys, on the naming names. I don't mind. We, okay, that's fine. We're good. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, maybe you should. 
But uh, this, is, this is really important because if we're talking about representation, we're talking about diversity in cycling, we're talking about visibility, right? And, and there are lots of reasons why cycling has been a very white sport up until now, but part of that reason is racism. Oh, definitely, yeah. When we, let, let, me, let me tell you something, because when Morris went to, um, to Belgium, I think I had my last race. <coughs> it was a tandem race on the track, actually, in uh, 84, 85, and I decided that I wasn't, because Morris wasn't around, I couldn't, I just could, didn't get on with Jim, and I just, I knew this was a battle I couldn't fight on my own, so, and I wasn't interested in fighting a battle. And apart from that, I met a really great woman who I married. Oh. So, <laughs> and, um, but having said that, I did, I, I started to work for BT, and I met somebody who was involved in the sickle cell, and I started to do um, a sickle cell sponsored bike ride, which Morris came on when he was here in London. Okay. And we did that for about, I think, five or six years, and they took it over. Right. But it was, a, it was a, for me, that was a great achievement, you know, mm-hmm. to, to enable um, the Sickle Cell Society to sure. actually raise money for the work that they do. Okay. And get cycling and charity together. Absolutely. Very much so. And, Maurice, you moved to Belgium. I did. So well, I, I mean, to be honest with you, it was, always, it was something in my mind. It was never, um, from the very beginning, for me winning a british championship or anything else was it was that wasn't the the point i i wanted to ride i had to i was i was looking at it i wanted to be up there with with the with the with the real people with mercs and with these people mm-hmm. I, you know i wasn't i wasn't satisfied to be riding here in this i knew that this sport in in this country at that time was a minority sport it wasn't enough for me and that's an important thing to say that cycling was a minority sport yeah, it was not this flashy thing on the telly with lots of mammal type no but people. It, it, it was you know, it was always it, it was only a matter of time i mean if i'd have gone to the olympics in in 1976 the reason i wanted to go was if i'd have got a, a, um, a medal at the Olympic Games, it meant it meant to me that I could have, I could have come in as a professional on a on a higher level, right? Uh, on a on a better fee, a better contract, and that sort of thing. That's uh-huh. that was the reason for me to go to the Olympics. The Olympics itself, as such, it wasn't. You know, I've won. I've won. Oh, I got a medal. And that's it. No, that was just a stepping stone to me mm-hmm. to move on. You see, I I I. I I turned professional. I'd been pro. I turned professional in 1977 in Belgium. After about a month or less than that, I was riding in the Ghent Six Day, and I come up against the greatest of all time, Mr. Eddie Merckx himself. And me and my partner in the in the Six Days, a two-man race, we'd already beaten the. We already we'd already given them a hiding that evening. And it was a comma race, and it was it was a, a what they call used to call I don't know if it's they used to call it devil take the hindmost here. Now they call it elimination. Anyway, yeah. it was me and Merck's left in the race. The man came alongside of me, and he knew that he better have a word with me because otherwise I was going <laughs> to. So he did. He asked me a favour, and I, and it was a great honour to me to and I and I. I, I I obliged him and it, okay. I let him win. So know, basically, we're talking. Okay, sorry. But but that's that that to me, you see, that's that's the level that I was. You know, I I wasn't satisfied to be yeah. riding. I I wanted to ride with the with the best in the world. So I just wanted to amplify what was going on there. So there's a deal going down, 
It's the business of six-day racing and the politics of six-day racing. And you're a black man in Belgium racing right. bikes with Eddie Merckx. That's right. The greatest cyclist of all time. That's right. How did, how did that feel? How did they make you feel? Well, what, I'll let me give you an example. Um, let's, let's step back a bit. Go, we go back now to... I, I just won the, the, um, the 20, 20 kilometers national championship where I beat the Commonwealth Games gold and silver medalist. Yeah, this is 1974. Um, end of 1974, I got a letter via the Federation you see, which mm-hmm. me being a young boy, I thought they knew about it. But it was an invitation from Trinidad and Barbados to race in their in the, um, the, um, cycling events in February and March. And which, of course, you know, who, who, who in their right mind is going to turn down a few weeks in the West Indies <laughs> in, in, the, in, in February? All expenses paid. Anyway, of course I accepted. When I went to, to, get my, to collect my trophy in December at Blackpool for the winning the British Championship, and I mentioned it to the officials, they were shocked. I thought they would have realized, but no, they were shocked. And their answer to me was, well, we didn't select you, so you won't be able to wear a Great Britain jersey. Well, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing, but the truth is I had a national champion's jersey to, to wear. So that, and um, I got a picture in my shop, it's right, it's there right now. And I beat in that race, this one race, I've, I've won more than one race, but this particular race, um, the third rider was a, a Olympic and world kilometer champion, Niels Fredberg. Fourth rider was about eight times world sprint champion, Daniel Morillon. You see, okay. I beat those guys then that day. That was 1974. Okay. But Britain didn't feel that I was right to wear the Great Britain jersey. Yet, in Belgium, mm-hmm. as an amateur, in the Zurich Sixth Day, yeah. a certain Belgian rider called Stan Tournay decided he didn't want to ride with a Belgian. He wanted to ride with me. So I don't know how he fixed it. But we were riding with the Belgian national jerseys on <laughs> in the Zurich Six Day. <laughs> See, and um, it didn't seem to worry the Belgians too much that, that no. you know that I didn't have a Belgian passport. <laughs> you see, yeah. Wow, wow. And I think we've got to really let that sink in because that that is part of our history, and we need to understand our history. I felt more respect over there than I did here mm-hmm. in Belgium. So just tell me about the scene in Belgium. If you're a cyclist in Belgium, whether you're black or whatever your background... Well, I was the only, pretty much, there wasn't no you, There was no other black cyclist in Belgium. But how did yeah. the Belgians kind of made you feel? How did they treat you? And what, how, well, what I suppose to them it was the a little bit of a, um, you know, novelty to a certain degree. You know, they'd never seen somebody else there like that doing these sort of things. But, you know, I mean, I think a lot of them... I think there was a respect there because... Um, it's not, you know, I went to Belgium with a bike and a hundred pounds, you see. And it's simple, I see it this way, it's a simple matter of fact in Belgium, you know. If you run out of money, you see there's races to ride if you, and you earn money. If you run out of money, it means to say you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. <laughs> so, look, I want to fast forward a little bit. So, you, you had a very successful career in Belgium. Not too bad. 
Not too bad. You later retired from racing and you came back to the UK. You set up the shop. Divis, no, I didn't you set bought, up the you shop. Bought, you bought no, the shop. Hold on. Let Sorry. Me step back a minute. All right. The first time I went to Belgium was a, 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 a rider came with me. He was, a, he was already a pro, but he wasn't. A, he came over here with a rider who, who was the last Australian to win the British Sprint Championship. He won it the same time as I won the 20K. His name was Malcolm Hill. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they stopped Australians. Because before that, Commonwealth riders could ride in the British Championships until that guy won the National Champion Sprint. And they stopped it. Okay. Which was a bad thing, really, because that was part of what caused them to come to the UK. Okay. And, the, and the racing, the level of racing was, yeah. was higher because of it. Sure. Wiggins and all, probably Bradley wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the fact that Australians could ride in the British Championships. Sure. But anyway, you know, so... Um, yeah, I'm losing my train. It's all right, the bike now. shop. So, yeah, no, so, so this guy came over with Malcolm Hill. He wanted to get break into the six days, like me. I went with him before the race in Barbados mm-hmm. to get some fitness. We both went together. Only thing for him, it didn't work out. Physically, just, yeah, it didn't work out. Okay. So he came back here. Doctor put him on some hormones to get him strong again because he was, he was completely wasted and then he he started learning how to build frames and he he opened a bike shop Diversicles because his name was Verlistong Peter Verlistong so that's where the name Diver came Diver. from that's where the name Diver came from got it see so now 10 years down the line I broke my leg in Argentina in 84 so I came back to England Pete had had a couple of divorces. The tax man was looking for him and all kind of things. He made me an offer. And I said, okay, mate, I'll take it off your hands. Okay. And, um, yeah, we, I built it up from there, really. Okay. So yeah. um, what I'm really interested in this evening and in the context of this evening is Team Devere CC. So a lot of the things that we've been talking about this evening, diversity in cycling and diversity in cycling clubs, you've been doing that for pretty much the entire time that Team Devere CC has existed. Um, well, the whole, the whole thought and the whole thing what I've done with the, with, with the club, with our club, this started for me before I even had the bike shop. Um, it was something that I wanted to do, you see, to bring people together. And this is not just black people. This is all people, you see, whatever, you know, that everyone rides together, fits together because this is what we are, we're in a community here where I don't, I don't like the idea of segregation in any way or form and I think that you know, we have to understand and learn to live together, all of us you see, whether we're black whether we're white, whether we're Chinese or whoever, and so I man, women I just like to have this thing that I don't, you know, I like everyone to feel comfortable Community, yeah, within what I'm doing, and that is being. But I'm not finished with what I'm doing, you know, because at the end of the day, my son, as you know, well, some of you may have known, Jermaine, Jermaine, and it was a lot. Believe me, when he was a young, when he was a small child, it was the last thing in my mind that you would ever be a cyclist. I didn't think it was a good idea, especially in those days, from where I came from, with the with the way cycling was at that time. 
So what's your next step? What do you see coming well, next for what you? Do I, what's my next step? Well, my next step, at the end of the day, you see, when you talk about, you can talk about diversity, you can talk about all these things that you, that you want, but at the end of the day, what you need is you need role models, you see? And it's all well and good having people from ethnic minorities riding on bikes, but the young people, you know, what you have to do is it goes from the young people, See, and they got to, they got to look and they got to have role models, people that they can look up to and say, "I want to be like him." See, at the moment, they haven't got any. There's no there's no black faces out there apart from a few in Africa. And where you're talking about here, you're talking about elite level world class. I'm talking about riders who can win races. Right. I'm not talking about people who are there to make up the numbers. I'm mm-hmm. talking about people who can win races. Okay. That's what I'm talking and about. And that's a very specific And I'm thing. talking about, I have the knowledge to do that. Okay. But they got to want to do it. You see? Sure. Okay. See? So the kind yeah, of things that it. we talked about, Morris, previously, so things like Lizzie Digan, for example, formerly Lizzie Armistead, BC actually went out and found her. They went to a school, did a VO2 max test, and yeah. she was identified as someone with talent. Is that yeah. something that needs to be done in a more diverse way? Well, in terms of world-class talent. I'm, so I'm conscious of I, everybody in the room. We're getting quite in here. Sorry. say on. that it needs to be done in a, in a diverse way. I think, you know, um, I, as I said, it's a chicken and egg situation. I mean, I dare say there was, there was maybe, where, I don't know where Lizzie comes from. Uh, may, I mean, if they went... Uh, that's a good point. Did they actually go down into, into yes. somewhere like Brixton? And, uh, well, this was, well, this is Otley. Did they it, do that? I don't think they did it in Brixton, but they certainly did it in Otley. In where? Otley, which is where she's from. It's in Yorkshire. Yeah, but how many black people live in that place? Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, if you, you, you know, did they come down here and say to these guys... Look, you know, I mean, it might be they... Sh- look, put it this way, yeah? I mean, you got... If you look at it this way, look, in, look at in the West Indies now. You're getting... The cricketers are not quite as good as they... I don't think they're quite as good as they used to be. And you know why? The, I feel this is a personal thing. The money in basketball and football is more than cricket. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. But how many psych you, you, you've got to look at it this way a young person let me tell you this now yeah there is money in cycling as well you know but you know you can I mean I personally back in the day was on two grand a week 40 mm-hmm. years ago which is seven eight thousand pound in today's money it yeah. can be done but you've got to you know a young person with talent he could go to football he can go to any yeah like that but like I guess what's going to make him want to go to cycling sure. but I guess the point is, is is thinking about the talent selection BC Academy those sorts of things and how those kind of things can be better represented of the cycling community alongside everything that we've been talking about today at kind of club level and putting the whole thing together we then have a more diverse sport that's kind well, of it really you know I'm, I'm trying you know if I you know, but the, a youngster would have to. They got to want to do it, you know. And yeah. it's, it's it's a hard. Thing. Even my son walked away from it. Exactly. You know? And you have to understand, I didn't force him into it either. Sure. But sure. you know, so they 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 got to want to do it, and that's the thing. It is it's, it is a very hard sport. Okay. Brilliant. Well, look, Morris, thank you ever so much for joining us today. Joe, thank you so much. If you both really share. Tonight,
Okay. Um, I'm, I'm really conscious that we have overrun a bit because there's been so much to talk about, and I did want to give everybody justice and let everybody speak what we all wanted to, everybody wanted to say. So thank you so much for bearing with us. I know it's extremely hot in here, and I think people want to either grab a beer, grab a water, or get outside for a bit. So um, I just want to sort of ask if there's any questions in the audience. Uh, if anybody's heard anything from what... And if we can gr- grab the radio mic and... Um, yeah. Could someone Sorry. Pass yeah. Okay. So, where's Alex? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Go, yeah. Thanks, you. Sorry. It had to be you, Lloyd. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you for the really interesting talk. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, Morris and Joe, um, your talk on your, how you got into the sport and then how you came up actually mirrored my experiences in football. I used to be a semi-professional footballer. Um, I used to play with a guy called Darren Moore who used to be one of the only black managers uh, in, the, in the sport, in the, in the game of football. Um, now, what's quite interesting is that there aren't many black footballers uh, who, who then rose up to the ranks and became um, a manager. So what's happened very recently, in the last couple of weeks, they've introduced the... I need to speak up. Sorry. Nobody, nobody's, not, nobody's listening anyway. <laughs> uh, they introduced the, what's known in the National Football League in the States, American football, as the Rooney Rule, um, named after a guy called Dan Rooney, who, is the, who was the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, head coach and was in charge of the diversity uh, initiative for the NFL. Um, what the NFL in, uh, stipulated is that for every uh, interview or every interview process, uh, there needs to be someone from the uh, ethnic and minorities needs to be included in that process. And what's happened now is... Uh, in the FA or the EFL, the English Football League, which is all the leagues beneath the, the Premier League, they need, they've now imp- introduced that rule. So the question is really to anyone who's from the professional arena in cycling, put your hands up. Excellent. Um, what is your view on the potential of implementing the Rooney Rule for British cycling? Uh, let me just clarify. Hello, Andy. We've spoken on mail. My, my name is James Lauter. I'm a South African, not Australian. Sorry, I'm already sending everyone up there. We've got a bit of a pounding. Um, so currently I work for a charity called Kobeka, South African charity that has partnered with Team Dimension Data. But in a previous life, I was a professional cyclist and I captained the South African uh, cycling team at World Cups. And for those who are familiar with South African history, as well as our current state, we have a very strong policy around transformation and broad-based black economic empowerment. So much like the rule that you've just spoken about, it is um, in practice and theory that can be laid out very conclusively by academics and economists and and socialists, but in practice to implement can be challenges that never ending from many angles. Um, There is no silver bullet to get it right, but it's certainly about laying out a path forward and an intention and creating awareness. And I think um, evenings like, the, like what Andy's put together certainly stimulate the conversation and creating the awareness that we can then go forth and 
start to spread the word and gather again and continue the conversation to build forward. Thank you. Thanks very much. There's a couple of people I just want to shout out to tonight as well, and if we can get maybe one more question in a second, and then hopefully we'll kind of wrap up, because I'm very conscious we've been going on for quite a while now. And thank you, everybody, for staying with us. One is Keir Appley from uh, CC Hackney. Is, is Keir here? Hi. Has anybody got a mic for Keir? Just quick, briefly. Because I just wanted to say hello, because one of the things that's happened with the RISC report is, you know, we couldn't speak to everybody, and there's a few people that we did miss, and we did miss CC Hackney, and you're doing a lot of really good stuff over there. If you can just say briefly in 30 seconds your elevator pitch about what you're doing over there and what you'd like to get across this evening, Keir. Okay, yeah, right. So, yeah, I'm Keir Appley from Cycling Club Hackney. Great that you're all here. Fantastic job. Um, just want to say that um, I do a lot of outreach work, and I don't want to be... Uh, a downer, but I'm thinking this very venue itself says a lot. Why can't we be in some community hall somewhere? Or the next time we have one like this, get out there, get to a community hall. I'll help you arrange it in Hackney anyway. Mm-hmm. And it'd be more affordable, no disrespect to the. <laughs> yeah. So immediately, what I'm seeing is kind of like it's almost, and no disrespect to anyone in this room, but it's almost like another exclusive flipping thing going on here. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So but I want to keep coming. All, all right. All I can say, Keir, brothers and sisters. You know? Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. All right. Um, I just want to sort of just kind of acknowledge Chude here and Chude, hello. And you've got a thing called Rough Rider Velo. And so I got to know you actually about six months before Manny. And then for various reasons, you kind of dropped off the radar. We didn't speak for a while. And the thing is, you, you, you didn't have a bike for so on. Well, I won't bore you with the, the detail. Health but issues, we, health yeah, issues, health okay. paid a big part in it. Yeah. Um, but you, you had your own, my point is this, you had your own thing, Rough Rider Velo, which was predominantly riders of color. Manny started up Black Cyclist Network. But what I wanted to really acknowledge about you was that rather than you getting competitive with Manny and you doing his thing and him doing his, you're doing, you doing your thing and him doing his thing, you came together. Just tell us very briefly about that and what you'd like to get across this evening. Well, with um, the Rough Rider Velo, which started about six, maybe seven years ago, as a person of color, I was rocking up to events like other people and not seeing any other people of color. But when I did see one, we gravitate towards each other. Mm-hmm. Started um, sharing numbers, got a little WhatsApp group, started riding together here and there, what have you, what have you. Then I met Manny, and he told me what he Stop. had in the work. And instead of taking myself away from it, I was introducing people to it because with me and cycling, I've always been, let's include everybody because part of my history was being born here to Nigerian parents and growing up in the deep south in Texas from the 70s, I experienced racism from a very young age. And so when I saw what I saw with cycling, even though it was predominantly middle-aged white men, if you were willing to ride with people, they would always carry you along and motivate you. And I've been that type of person. I'm not the fastest rider, but I will ride with anybody, anywhere, as long as you're willing to ride. I don't care. Uh, and I saw what Manny was doing, and I saw that, it, that something big would come out of it. So I've always said, whatever way I can support him, I'll be there. You cooperated rather than competed. You were without a doubt. Without okay, a doubt. thank you so much. Without I've got one, one more question from this gentleman here. He's had his hand up for a while. And so actually, you know, I'll pass the mic to you. Go on. If you can, real quick question. Go on, Eugene. Hi. Um, so I'm Eugene Regis, and I'm on the committee of Islington Cycling Club. And um, I organise all the special events. 
So it was great to see a few BCN riders at um, the Great Escape this year. Um, one thing I was thinking was, it's not the sport, is that I always sometimes... So a lot of what everyone said is true about riders of colour gravitating towards each other, the shared experience. But uh, I also get, as one of the more active cycling accounts on Twitter, a lot of, well, we can't spend money on cycling infrastructure or paths or anything like that because black people don't cycle. And no, we know, don't. In the, exactly. So, but I always get the condescending rubbish from a lot of antis because, well, it's all a sport about rich bankers or whatever, or people in Lycra and their nice kits. And what are we as a group going to do to challenge these perceptions? Because the WhatsApp for BCN is very active, but I want to use that more as well. I'm always the first person in Regent's Park every morning doing laps, so I tend to get a lot of people saying hello to me. But um, does anyone have any ideas about challenging this perception? Because I'm very aware of it. I interviewed at the Crown Estates Paving Commission to uh, get a role as a commissioner. I didn't get it, but I was also aware that I was A, the youngest person, but B, one of the only two people of colour who actually was looking to get on a committee of ten. And um, what do you think we should be doing to challenge this? That's a really good question. I think right now it's very difficult to try and challenge, um, to challenge that perception. If anyone comes up to you and says, oh, but black people don't, don't ride bikes, I mean, it's absurd, but, you know, that's what the people believe. And I think this is where this report is really important because, and, and, the, and the work we're doing with BCN is quite important as well because we are showing people that there, are, there is a community of black riders out in London um, and we're hoping to expand further out. Um, and the only way we can actually challenge that perception is by putting ourselves out there and, and you know, showing to the country that there are people, a lot of you know, cycles of colour out there. Um, that would be my approach to, um, to the situation. So it's really good to, 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 just to go back on um, what Chile was saying about our partnership with Rough Riders Velo. I mean, we, we just merged you know, um, really easily because the key thing with us is quite similar to what um, to, um, Windy Miller is that we're not a traditional cycling, um, cycling club in a way. We don't ask for membership. We're just there to try and connect people, all right, and and also to help educate people and introduce them into cycling. So one of the things that we do as a club, BCN, is we actually encourage our members to ride f- for their local clubs because that's uh, to us that's that's really important. It's not just about us being isolationist and just being our own little club. Although there will be members, there will be people that will choose to be members of our club and just ride with BCN. As, as a general rule, we actually encourage our members to ride. So one of the key things we do is we ride on Saturdays as opposed to Sundays. So the idea is when we ride Saturdays, most people come. And then Sundays is when you know, most club rides you know, take place. So you know, it gives our members an opportunity to actually ride with the local clubs on Sundays. And then every three or four weeks, we do a big BCN epic ride. And that goes from all, t- all areas. So we might go... Brighton one point, we might go, you know, um, um, Essex, Chelmsford, or we might head down to the Chilterns. And the idea of doing that is just to give people the breath of, of cycling and to introduce them to new places and to see exactly what they can achieve. So we've got members that are on the track um, doing all DAXs. We're just trying to introduce people to cycling as a whole. And this, this is why we're trying to, this is our, our way of, you know, trying to combat that whole Good. theory. Got it. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
One last question from the gentleman in the blue jacket. Is it switched on? Yeah, I'm Edward Ward from Lee Valley Cycle Club. I'm the chair, and I'm also the start target keeper at the Tuesday 10s. Five, four, three, two, one. Thank you for organising this. This has been long overdue. If there are any other clubs, East London, North East London in particular, but generally here, please come and catch yourself. We'd like to talk about it. Uh, it's going on next week's committee meeting agenda. And we are a traditional cycling club, but in the best possible way. And Manny, thank you in particular for all the work you've been doing. You, you rode with them, didn't you? What's your, what's your question? Oh, oh, oh. What was your question? <laughs> yeah, what was your question? What was your question? But it's fine. I think you said your thing. And I think just to acknowledge Lee Valley, because you've been doing a lot of great work as well, and that's been noted in the process of this and getting this report out there. I think one thing, I just because we've got to bring it to a bit of a close now, so thank um, you all. Andy, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, go on. I think we should take one more question, because that wasn't actually one. Oh, so. Yeah, all right, go on. <laughs> sorry. Behind you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, when I came to this event, I didn't realise that it was about cycling, as in traditional cycling. I thought it was just cycling as in getting out on your bike and cycling and commuting. Mm-hmm. So coming from that perspective, I guess what I'm thinking is that are any of these clubs invested in not racing, but just trying to get people and minorities and women like myself out on bikes not really interested hey. in the racing aspect. Hi, hello. Velocity Velocity. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just here to sort of get links to that as yeah. opposed to, because I'm, I'm not interested in road cycling, but I love cycling, so. Yes, yes, okay. there's lots. <laughs> we need to have a chat. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, there's lots of clubs. So if racing's what you want to do, great. But if you just want to ride with friends and get to meet people, I think this is why it's... I know, going back to kind of my earlier comments, this is kind of why I was my ending of my sandwich, which is that there's so much there for cycling, for people to get involved. There's such a huge social aspect, which is completely outside of the world of cycling. Well, sorry, outside of the world of racing, but cycling itself on Saturday, club runs, Sunday club runs. And that's what, one of the things which I found so painful when I went to that Saturday club run. And people wouldn't talk to me. I was like, what the hell is going on? So this is why there's lots of clubs out there. Come and talk to me after this, and you'll hear more. I just want to say that um, Windy Miller, I know we're probably... I don't know where you live. We are Guildford-based, Farnham-based, but we really pride ourselves on actually appealing to beginners in that we follow the British Cycling Let's Ride format, Um, Lots of our members have done the ride leader courses and in doing so, we do every month over the summer months um, beginner's rides, um, which are for people who are riding either at 13 mile an hour average or the pace of the slowest rider. Um, Every single week we put out a ride that goes at 13 mile an hour average and um, is a much shorter route in comparison to our main club ride that's going out. We always create routes for complete beginners. Um, so I, for us, that was a really 
natural step because we have a kids club as well um so when our kids get to junior level 13 14 we wanted them to have a stepping stone into our adults club so by having a beginner's ride slash social ride we get a lot of the kids coming along who are able to keep up at that pace we have beginner cyclists and it just means that over time they gradually enter into the faster groups faster adult groups as well so we have most of our riders don't race one or two do race Uh, we also have a very collaborative approach in that those who do want to race because we don't have enough of those types of riders we join forces with other clubs who have people who are racing but aren't racing at cat one cat one or elite level so we pull riders together um to form bigger chain gangs so they can go train together on a Wednesday evening, for example. It was really easy for us to do that. And I think from a club perspective, it doesn't take that much time to cater for beginners and people who are who are starting their cycling journey um, and who would like to get involved in the sport or even the fitness of cycling. Um, and and to begin with, need to go slower and for shorter distances. So okay. I'm really happy to help anyone who would like more information on how to, how to implement that. And if, you, if you're hanging around afterwards, come and meet us. Come and talk to people, whoever you want to talk to. We're all here. Everybody's willing to help and, and, and give you some pointers and, and, and hopefully find a pathway for you that's appropriate to you. Andy, just a quick plug. That's something that we're also looking at, um, creating rides for beginners. So we do Saturday rides um, in Regent's Park, which is a controlled environment for Thank beginners. Thank you, Manny. Well, Boris, right. go on. One I quick. just want to say one more thing, really. At the end of the day, I did say to you one thing. And that is role models, yeah. And basically, what I'm, what I feel we need, we need young people to replace me and this man here. That's what we need. There's plenty in that room. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Morris. All right. I'm, I'm conscious we're running out of time. So just a couple of things, which is 20 years ago. If you'd said to anybody in cycling that we would be the kind of nation that would be having multiple world champion riders, multiple Olympic Games gold medalists, people would have said you were crazy, right? This is like 90, 1998, 1999. If you'd said to anybody then that Great Britain would be leading the medals table in cycling on a global level, most people would have said you would have been joking, okay? Even 10 years ago, in 2009, when Sir, Bradley, um, Sir David Brailsford said that it was his ambition that Team Sky would win the Tour de France with a British rider within five years, people laughed at him. They did. I know because I was one of them. Right? Don't tell me nothing in this world is impossible. Okay? Anything can happen. And it can happen out of one room with one voice that kickstarts something that gets some movement going. Okay? You've seen and heard enough different voices from so many different people in this room tonight. Don't let anyone tell you that cycling is a white sport, that it's only for middle-class white guys on 15 grand dogmas. It's not. It's lots of things to different people. So please all take all that on board. Think about what you can do. And I just want to leave that last word now because thank you so much. It's been such a collaborative thing to you, Wanda. You've you've done so much. You've been such a brilliant ambassador for this sport during this year. You've done some incredible things. I just want the last word for you, Wanda. What would you like to say to everybody in this room? Okay, so I'm going to read out of my notebook because I don't want to mess up what I want to say. But a couple of weeks ago, Biola and I 
met and had a conversation because this event is really important to me and a lot of you have probably seen me out in the media in the past few months in different campaigns um, and because brands are there trying to support diversity but just seeing my face is not diverse so think about what you've heard think about all the people in your clubs we encounter the same problems but our stories aren't the same so you need to tell every single one of them the things you've heard tonight aren't necessarily diversity specific it's about being welcoming and being whole and inclusive respective of income gender race or sexuality and you may not necessarily have to understand our experiences but you need to be aware that we um, face some problems thanks for all coming I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.